Hello, I'm Jeremy Hansen, and I'm here with Arch, Tash and Matt to bring you the Architecture Podcast 76 Small Rooms. Today, we visit New Plymouth and the spectacular new Len Lye Centre designed by Pattersons. If you haven't already seen images of this building, you will soon because it's the perfect building for the Instagram age, with a show-stopping exterior of wavy, shiny stainless steel panels. You can see shots of it on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash 76 smallrooms. The building is designed to house the works of the late Len Lai, who achieved international renown for his short films and kinetic sculptures, which he bequeathed to the new Plymouth-based Len Lai Foundation before his death in 1980. Lai often worked in stainless steel. I was about 12 years old when I first saw his famous work Trilogy, which was also known as a flip in two twisters. We were on a family holiday in Taranaki and I was mesmerised by those enormous sheets of stainless steel that were motorised, so they sort of swooped and clanged and throbbed. It was incredible. Have you guys had similar encounters with the works of Len Lai? I seem to remember last episode you asked us if we'd read that book that every architect <laughs> has read. And now you're asking us about Len Lai. I can honestly say, no, I haven't had any interaction with Len Lai. Matthew, you failed again. Oh, I have, sorry. <laughs> um, I've read Roger Horrock's um, fantastic bio of Len Lai that I got um, for a birthday present a long time ago when it first came out, and that really intrigued me because I was going through architecture school at the time. And I've been down to New Plymouth, but before the um, museum was finished, so I've seen the huge wind wand there. Um, and there, there was an exhibition a few years ago um, at the Fisher Gallery of Len Lai's work, um, which I went to, and uh, obviously the the work sort of had to fit the space, but the, the films just, you know, I was really taken with. Uh, they were sort of mad and joyous and, mm. yeah, just wonderful. And now you all have a really great excuse to go to New Plymouth because the new building is, in my opinion, magnificent. And in this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk to architect Andrew Patterson but first, here's the reactions of some passers-by that I chatted to outside the building when I was down in New Plymouth. Excuse me. I'm doing a podcast about the building and yeah. its effect on New Plymouth. Can I just ask you what you think of it? I'm not sure at this stage. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, what, what are your first impressions as you, as you come by and see it? Or have you been seeing it go up? No, I've been watching it on and off. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reflections around the courthouse size are quite brilliant. Around here, I think it's going to be a bit glary and uh, sunstrike, but it's impressive. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this surface is just like mirror, isn't it? It's beautifully done. Yeah, it's polished, whatever. Yeah. It's so you live in New Plymouth? Yeah, yeah. What's your name? Gary. Gary, nice to meet you. This Gary. is Lily. Hi, Lily. She's what do you think of the building? I think it's nice, and when you look here in the reflection, it looks like you're dancing with someone. <laughs> I think Len Lai would quite like that. Yeah. Oh, I think it's way cool. Yeah, I like it a lot. Were you a supporter from the start? Uh, just a, on the sideline supporters, I think it's great. It's For me, it's like um, Bill Bowen's got the Guggenheim, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, it's a little smaller scale, but uh, I think it's great. I think it looks breathtaking. I do, I think it's stunning. It looks shiny and it moves constantly as people and cars move by, so it makes you think of film and and like Len Lai's moving sculptures. I think it's stunning. What do you think it's going to do for New Plymouth and Taranaki as a whole? I think people will come to see it, and I think probably the local people may not understand how appealing it is to a wider audience. And, I mean, I know it's easy to say that there's Bilbao and Guggenheim, but they are destination galleries, and, and there are a lot of people that go to those spaces, and I really hope they come here and see it, because it is stunning.
While I was in New Plymouth, I also spoke to John Matthews, who's the chairman of the Lenlai Foundation. He's an engineer, and he was instrumental in the successful staging of an important Lenlai exhibition at the Gavette Brewster Gallery in the late 1970s. He was the guy who was basically able to bring Lai's vision of these enormous stainless steel sculptures to life. Now, he told me that the path to creating the new Lenlai Centre was far from easy. So it's been a long time coming, uh, but um I, I, Len always wanted a, a building like this, and so uh, that was one of the objectives, of course. So we've been working on the idea for about 30 years, but Greg Burke, the director of the Gavette Brewster at the time, uh, this is maybe 12 years ago, really kicked it off, and uh, we got underway. And it's been uh, a perilous journey uh, during that time, because there's been many uh, New Plymouth district councillors who have tried to kill it uh, from time to time. So we've had uh, extraordinary uh, saga of being uh, tackled by in particular district councillors who didn't like the idea uh, and, uh, and in each case we've, we've got through by a majority of votes but sometimes perilously so, very close. And, uh, and fortunately, of course, there were lots of people who supported the project. There was a lot of misinformation which made it very, very difficult for the, uh, the citizens of New Plymouth to understand what was going on. We told them uh, hundreds of times that it wasn't going to cost them a cracker, but uh, the, the contrary press, including letters to the editor, of course, uh, for, you know, 10 years where that it was going to cost a fortune. Um, and as it, as it is, uh, the city's got it as a gift, which was always the objective. Now, John Matthews was also instrumental in insisting on a nationwide search for an architect for the new building. This wasn't an architectural competition. What happened was a panel from the Gavette Brewster, which included its former director, Rana Devonport, and architect Sir Miles Warren, interviewed a number of New Zealand architects and then decided who they thought was best suited to design the building. Quite an interesting process. And from that process, they chose Auckland-based architect Andrew Patterson to design the building. Now, after I got back from New Plymouth, Tash, Matt and I went to chat to him, and here's what he had to say. So, Andrew, hello. Um, Hi. You've just been to the opening of the new Lean Life Centre at the Gavette Brewster in New Plymouth. Yeah. How yeah, do you like the now it's complete? Oh, I'm, it's quite rare when you actually fall in love with your own work. It's like your own cooking. <laughs> you know, it can be meal for somebody and you're not really interested in eating it, but I, um, yeah, this one was exceptional for me and I've really been enjoying it. I can't wait to go back down there. What is it about it that makes it so exceptional for you? Why do you like it so much? Well, I think it's so um, close to the original vision. Mm. And um, we were able to... We, I, I'm, I've been wondering that myself because we were, there's very few things that we would have done differently. Um, often, often you find just for yourself there might be something unresolved or, or um, go off a bit of a mistake. But this one is um, just surprisingly um, exactly like it was imagined and, and resolved. So, uh, so I guess that might be it. So what's enabled that? I mean, is it 
what who were the clients and what was well it's interesting because I, I do think it's a learning experience if we're going to get better buildings on what went right I think the um, the first thing that went right is we were able to do an extensive consultation program before putting pen to paper. Right. So we spent a long time just chatting, chatting, chatting to stakeholders. And well, we had we had um, five different clients really. Essentially, a, a client body made up of the New Zealand government, uh, the Lean Life Foundation, the the users or the or the gallery museum staff, and um, and also. Um, the, the official client, which was the district council, then. Right. And under them, we had another, you know, ex-stakeholders of Todd Foundation, TSB Bank, and all of the people who were who were major contributors. So, um, we we spent a long time just talking to first. Yep. And that was, I, I guess, that was a good thing. The other thing was we had to meet several funding deadlines, so um, we had to work hard. Um, but we didn't have a lot of opportunity to sort of navel gaze. And often it's, I don't know if anybody's interested in painting or watercolors, but you can just put one dab of paint on too much in a watercolor and it ruins the whole thing so often. Mm. And architecture can be like that, but there was never the opportunity to do that with, with this project. Mm. And um, yeah, everybody, I, I, I think the other thing was that everybody was just so wonderfully supportive down there. Right. That we came across, we were involved in the project. Everybody wanted um, wanted to, to succeed, and uh, so it was, I, I think that added to it as well. Mm. So after all that consultation, how did you know what you wanted the building to be? Well, it just actually came. I think you spend um, a lot of time in your unconscious, and um, after three months of talking um, to people who knew Len Lai. Researching and lie, talking to everybody who was who was interested in the building and had a stake in the building. Um, I sat down. We sat down, and um, you can see by the early uh, sketches, the building's pretty well identified. I wish I could explain because that's the most common question I get asked: is you know, where did it come from? Well, mm. if, I, if I knew, I would <laughs> be able to do it a lot quicker, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and has it been a long? Process when the the when surprisingly it? short for us. Right. And well, it's been a thirty-year process, and we we were really um, new kids on the block. Uh, three years, mm. well, nearly four years, um, which has been a, a, a very short process for a project of this kind of magnitude. And the construction period within that uh, was within about two years. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a surprisingly. Um, simple building to build and um, it actually the the cost of the building per square meter was uh, was very affordable and mm. we did that by by using a repeating concrete pattern yes right so, the way through so that's the precast elements around the perimeter yeah and, yeah and and, and and we used um, completely local precasting firms stainless steel firms so it's all local right and of course, once you once you're determined to go local, you end up with a lot of um, bidders, competitive bidders who want to be involved in the project. So the the building came in um, at, at almost half the price per square meter as say the um, Auckland Art Gallery or right. even the New Titarini Gallery or um, um, yeah. So it was right. um, it was very good from that respect. Mm. 
It's interesting too because it seems to me that the um, success of the building is, is um, also to do with uh, the quality of the finishing, which is really intrinsic to the design. Mm. You worked with local manufacturers. Um, were you quite involved through that process? I mean, oh yeah, 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 we were. Um, well, the floor everybody goes, isn't this marble floor beautiful? <laughs> but it's actually a concrete floor, and. Um, uh, Emmett, who did the precast, just um, fell in love with the project. Mm. And um, if you go down there, you'll see the, all of the concrete work is just like velvet. Somebody described mm. it as silver velvet curtains. And, it, and mm. they, they, they really do look like that. Mm. How would you describe Len Lai's work and how did you then decide to, how to respond to it? Well, um, he had such a diverse um, career and a very um, uh, diverse in that he moved from um, painting through to film and then of course to sculpture and how do you how do you kind of um, categorize it and and so to understand it I, I guess the as and on top of that he had this enormous philosophy of art um, so his his writings and his philosophy um, and his personality are the other two strings I guess and um, once you understand his philosophy I think that's for us where the real value of Len Lai is and it's it's overwhelmingly positive it's a really the message is overwhelmingly positive and um, in, in terms of 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 the art um, well it's all about light I guess that's the uniting thing that goes right through Len Lai's work it's about um, light and movement yeah this was an interesting process of winning the job, wasn't it? Because I realised that you were interviewed along with a number of other architects, but you didn't need to present a design at that stage. Oh, that, that, I guess that's the other thing that um, is a lesson on getting better buildings in New Zealand, is that it was a traditional interview process. And we don't use, um, in New Zealand, we don't use the traditional interview process for architects very much. In fact, this was the first time for me. And, but our forefathers used it. What, what we tend to do is um, not have any personal contact and give everybody a two-page brief and say, draw it on the back of a napkin and um, that's, you might as well get blindfolded and chuck a dart at a dartboard, really. Um, these people, um, under Sir Miles Warren, uh, interviewed 30 architects and then gradually whittled that down, um, looking at their work and, um, and, and themselves in terms of suitability to interpret this project. And and to me, that's a, a more sensible... You say 30, three zero. Three zero, yeah. Wow. 32, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, Australia and New Zealand. So what did you do to prepare for a process like that? If you're not drawing a building... Well, we were lucky. A lot of our um, buildings were are about light. And, um, and there's a lot of synergy with our previous work with Len Lai, which I didn't actually, wasn't aware of, but now that I look at our portfolio, uh, using the eyes of what those guys and, and women must have done, I can see that we probably were the obvious choice. We'd done Mai Mai, which was the illuminated facade, in, in, in a kind of, and we'd done, um, we'd been um, looking at cloud buildings a lot. We've got a, and, and Len Lai was very interested in that. and. Um, so, um, and, and, and we've always been fascinated with kinetic buildings. So I think they thought that we were a good fit um, for the project. 
Yeah, I guess. It's interesting because often the, the, the process is that you know, you have a small group of architects who draw something and commit something which is before really you've engaged with the client at all and really understood what it is that you're dealing with. So um, Oh, it's just crazy. It's really put me <laughs> off the, not that we enter a lot of competitions, but it's put me off the, the ability of a competition process to actually generate a good building. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it, competitions, uh, I guess, um, uh, generate opportunities for not so well-known architect it also um, is theoretically much a fair way of going about it. Mm. But whether it actually uh, gives rise to good architecture, mm. um, I'm not so sure. Yeah. Sorry, just to clarify there, you're of saying the normal competition process of submitting a design is much oh, less appealing than the one that you followed for the Len Lai Well, I, I just don't think, I don't think the Len Lai building would be the same if it had been a competition, even if we'd won it. because. Mm. The pro it was the process of engaging that created the architecture. Yeah. Yeah. Good Am I making sense? Yes, you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there are some competitions that um, that create, um, they, you know, the good buildings spring out, of course. Mm. But um, uh, is a. Uh, I think I suspect that those competitions just find an architect, and luckily those architects were given the the opportunity to then engage. <laughs> yeah. Because often the first thing you do after winning the competition is to unpick all of your assumptions and really understand the brief, really have engagement with the with the client and the stakeholders and so yeah. there. It sounds like a great process. And and tell us, um, this is a building for uh, it's a single artist museum, yeah. which is, is the first in New Zealand. Did you find that uh, process uh, satisfying as opposed to building uh, a gallery for many different artists? Oh, well, it was, um, yeah, probably, yeah, because um, it was, it's Len Lai's house, isn't it? Effectively, he's the client. Mm. So it's his foreign area, and luckily he's left such an enormous body of work that it was engaging in the client. I mean, um, Max Gimlet, who's on the Len Lai Foundation, kept saying, are you channeling him? You're channeling him, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of kind of a scientific coming up. Well, I'm, I think so. <laughs> yeah. So it was. Um, yeah, it was. It was. Um, in, in the in the Polynesian sense of a foreign event, it's about um, communicating and celebrating Len Lai to a whole lot of people to who visit the building or to, to make them feel like they belong, and um, to inspire people with Len Lai's um, legacy. I guess. Yeah. When I visited New Plymouth, Andrew, it was quite obvious from talking to a number of people that there'd been pretty vociferous local opposition to this project, not necessarily to your design, but the use of um, a small amount of public money on it, etc., etc. Were you aware of that opposition at the time, and did you feel you ever had to react to it in your design? Well, no. Um, I, I actually never personally came into contact with any opposition. I was down there weekly. So I'd inevitably get into the taxi at the airport and then surreptitiously grill the taxi driver. <laughs> but I never found a taxi driver who wasn't, oh, it's great for, great for the town. And I, and I did the same with everybody, you know, um, just as an anonymous entity, waiters and bus conductors, a whole lot. And I never actually found anybody myself who was anti. So I think, um, but I, I heard anecdotally, of course, there was, there was quite a lot of, um, opposition you know, at a political level mm. yeah uh, but I, I was thankfully um, spared 
all that. Because it's also sometimes a, an expedient move politically for people to hang the architect out to dry in these circumstances, but you weren't ever put in that position either. Oh, no, 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 definitely not. Um, I'm, I'm really pleased that those, all those people who supported the project and put all that love and energy in the project are, are vindicated. Um, and, and, and it was a great celebration um, this last weekend for, on that basis. But it's back to um, getting it right, I guess, because you can do that with projects and, and people are a bit hung about the end result as well. So there's some magic formula there that we've all got to learn, I think. <laughs> you mentioned the pleasure of turning up to this opening, which you got to do last weekend. Yeah. And people being extremely complimentary about the building. And it suddenly struck me as you were saying that that very rarely happens as an architect. <laughs> no, no. Um, I could, I could have just lived, lived in Canton a lot, but yet still be there because um, people who had not um, had an interest or in architecture or, or experienced architecture before would come in and um, they, you know they'd be quite overwhelmed. They, they would look up and um, look down and walk into things, and it was it was funny. You know, you walk into a room, the main gallery. And some people are looking at the art, of course, but there's, all, there's quite a few people just basically staring up at the corners line. And it's really um, wonderful feedback. You know, it, make, it makes, for an architect, it, it was a, a highlight for me. It makes everything worthwhile. That I had you know, very hairy um, Taranaki dairy farmers coming up and saying, well, I've never you know, thought about buildings before, but this one's not bad. <laughs> because that's the best, probably the best compliment we'll ever get. <laughs> Do you feel like it's kind of a, a, a way of winning hearts and minds over to the benefits of architecture generally as well? Do you think Oh, absolutely. If the building does nothing else, I, I hope that it you know, puts architecture a little bit further up the imperative list for New Zealand. I mean, we've got to start doing great buildings. If we, if we started doing great buildings, in a hundred years, we'd have this wonderful built environment. We've just got to do it because we rely on our natural environment. But um, that's only it's only great because it's unbuilt. You know, it's, it's New Zealand intrinsically is not a more beautiful place than the rest of the world used to be. It's just that there's is hasn't been has it, yeah. Has it, yeah. Exactly. So we've got to learn off that, and we've got to uh, keep our built environment tight and not intrude on our natural environment, treasure our, treasure our natural environment, and um, in our built environment we've got to make it as good, don't we? And we've got to learn how, how to do that uh, quite quickly because the buildings, you know, the buildings we build stick around for hundreds of years. So that was the architect Andrew Patterson who spoke to Tash, Matt and I at his offices in Auckland. Really interesting to hear him talk about the process because we're so accustomed to people designing beautiful renderings from a, for a building that might exist and then this terrible process of where that building turns out to be not realisable for the budget and all that kind of thing. This interview process and the resulting buildings, is this the way we should do all buildings from now on? I didn't have the benefit of being at the interview, so I got to hear the recordings and I think Andrew would have been gutted not to meet me, obviously, <laughs> would have been looking forward to that. But the thing that I came away with was this impression of this triumph of process and setting all of those things in play mm. to get a really good result. And of course the corollary is the risk that you design a scheme to win, which is not the same as designing the scheme that's the best outcome 
for the project. So, you know, having not, not been there and been part of the questioning, but hearing that talk about the interview process and what it's set up, and particularly the pause before really starting in earnest in pen and paper, made a huge impression on me. I mean, I would, I'd be a real convert of that process if that's the type of outcome that it helps generate. I think Andrew sort of said he, the, one of the reasons why he likes the building so much is because it is such a true reflection of the original idea and the, the, you know, the original idea was, was delayed as, in many respects by the interview process by three months of talking to interested parties and then mm -hmm. pen was put to paper. So, and, and you know, sounds like a yeah, absolutely fantastic process, much more efficient. And, and also I think those conversations inform um, the design itself. And you don't get that same dialogue um, when you are uh, um, designing something for a competition brief. I mean, it's much, uh, you have so, so much more distance from the client. Um, so I think that's fundamental. Mm. It's almost quite sweet the way they started out mm. because John Matthews, when I asked him what they were looking for when they interviewed, you know, all these architects from around New Zealand to see who was most suitable for the centre, he said they were looking somebody for somebody with an empathy um, mm. with Len Lai and his works and that Andrew Patterson demonstrated the greatest mm. degree of empathy and so they chose him. It's it's almost quite mystical in a sense, mm. don't you think? Mm, mm. Well, it's like Len Lai has been brought in as, as a client as well, mm, which I think is delightful. It feel like that in a lot of the mm. interviews, that he was almost present mm. in, a, in a strange way. Mm. What do you think, though? I always think that renderings perform a really strong sales function for a building, and that that's what people use to go out to donors and to mm. city councils and to the public to kind of generate support. And in this case, getting those would have been quite... A, lot, a much longer process than if they ran a competition that required them at the beginning. Yeah, so doesn't it suggest that it's, a, it's, it's the words and the empathy and the impression and the understanding up front that actually got the commit, mm. not the imagery mm. or the, you know, I mean, it's a building that the early renderings thereof would have won just about any competition, but it just didn't come by that process. But, but yeah. I also think that this is a building where perhaps the the drawings would have been quite challenging for a lot of people and I think what's really interesting about it is that um, in the flesh it's a really accessible building. Um, people can't help but engage with it mm. from all of the images and, and sort of um, uh, account, um, accounts I've heard. So I find that really interesting too because I think perhaps some of the drawings... It would have been incredibly hard to draw. Well, exactly. Would <laughs> how do you... Yeah, how do you... Well, to convey... To yes. convey, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Also, it's kind of, and I think you were saying this when we were talking earlier, Tash, it seems counterintuitive to have a hard wall meeting the street and this the new yeah. Lai Centre. There is no way into it. You have to go in through the old building to reach it. And you would think that would create a poor effect on the street, but this wonderful metal mm. facade is so interactive with kids hiding in the nooks and people taking photographs of each other and everybody pauses to watch the way their reflections skitter past it. It's... Um, much more interactive than I think you would ever predict if, you, if mm. an architect told you they were going to slam a wall into the street and have no... Yeah, yeah. if you're going to break the conventional the wisdom of urban design and activation mm. and transparency of facade, you have to do something as exceptional as this. Mm. 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 I was thinking about the, um, the Jewish Museum by Lewis Kingdom in Berlin where it's a metal yeah. wall yeah. coming yeah. into the... meeting the footpath and the entry is obscured it's through an adjacent building but you know, it's, it's nothing like the um, the then live building. Do you not like it? Oh, I think he's. I think Leibskin's a bit of a vandal. But, um, <laughs> but I think that that's just. I a, agree, but I think that's that just an opinion. Quite good. Internally, mm. Mm. yes, mm. it's yeah. extremely powerful internally. Yes. It has a the sequence of spaces and mm. the experiences 
and um, sound, the use of sound to create um, an eeriness and a contemplation is extremely successful. Mm. But um, he should build in the country. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a cruel to cities. Daniel, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, I think, but um, we, we digress. The difference is, you know, the, the descriptions that I heard about what the kids were doing, playing around the edges and hiding in it, that's humane. Very. That's human scaled mm. and it's accessible. Um, this, uh, the example we're talking about with Lebeskin, those are different. Those are different gestures and they are blank and mm. they are not inviting and, and humane. And, and they're sort of somehow trying to do that. Mm. But I mean, um, It is different to a concrete wall meeting the spectres. Mm, mm, it, is, mm. is, is, it is activated. It is activated by the people occupying it around the outside. Mm. Um, and it's a gallery. Yeah, it's, it needs to control light and it needs to control the environment within mm. it and it does its job very well um, and it delivers to the street as well. Mm. So, Jeremy, you saw it when it just had its covers off and it, it, they would have spent weeks buffing and polishing it to make it look great. Does mm. it? What's the actual stainless like in the flesh? You know, it's, It feels really beautifully crafted and it's obviously extremely shiny. It's polished to an incredible sheen in a yeah. sense. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of the concern in New Plymouth has been about the alleged insanity of putting a stainless steel building in a coastal town. Um, Miles Warren, who was on the panel, says... The Michael Fowler Centre has stainless steel on its exterior in Wellington as well, and a couple of washes a year means it's kept fine. Mm -hmm. And so that's the plan in New Plymouth as mm -hmm. well. But um, what I wanted to ask you guys was the... Um, John Matthews talked about this vociferous local opposition that the building faced. And obviously the building had a lot of supporters too, or it wouldn't exist. But people were sniping at it all the way through construction, and you could see the day I got there, the covers had just come off the previous day, there was some enthusiasm from passers-by, but there was also quite a lot of scepticism. And I wanted to ask you if this is the inevitable fate of any new public building in any kind of western city, or is this a peculiar New Zealand condition where there was this degree of suspicion and hostility even towards this wonderful new centre? It's Look, a good I don't question. Know about, I, yeah, don't I, I don't know about you guys. I think it's common. I don't think it's particularly New Zealand. No. Um, these, are, these are big interventions in our cities. I can't wait to go. Yeah. yeah. Can we do a road trip? Let's <laughs> <laughs> hire a family van. Yeah. <laughs> Can't be summer. <laughs> little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all for this episode of 76 Small Rooms. Stay in touch with us through Twitter and Facebook. And we'll have another podcast in a month or so. From me, Jeremy Hansen, and my fellow podcasters, Arch, Matt, and Tash. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.